Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. games for absolute bangers that's hayden winks i'm josh norris hayden buddy i went six and oh in my picks last weekend how'd you do uh not that well (laughs) (laughs) yep it's gonna be fun one today can't wait to dive into each of these games each of these players each of these matchups with like two and a half of these games already being played this season if we can do some counting there uh and as you said These are some electric contests, and this really should be like the best weekend of football in terms of quality and quantity, you know, intersecting. That's it. And some funny storylines. We haven't seen Daniel Jones here. We haven't seen Trevor Lawrence here, obviously. And then obviously the Bengals-Bills game uh, is going to be one of the best games of the entire year. Can't wait. All right. Let's kick it off with the Saturday games. The first one's at 430 Eastern. My Jacksonville Jaguars against everyone's Kansas City Chiefs. A 53 total in this game with obviously the Chiefs favored by eight and a half points. They put each other all the way back in week 10. Hayden, Chiefs won 27 to 17. At that time, that turned the Jaguars into three and seven on the season. And again, let me put in perspective. They won by 10 points. Kansas City did. The Jaguars opened with a recovered onside kick. Isaiah Pacheco had fumbled inside of the red zone on the opening drive. The Chiefs lost the turnover battle to nothing. They didn't have a single takeaway in that game. With that said, it was still 20 to nothing with one minute to go in the first half. Yeah, that game was completely wild. Since then, what I've noticed about the Jaguars is <laughs> Doug Peterson is getting even more aggressive. And that yep. came out to play in the last game. Uh, it's just with aggressiveness and also scheme. There was a couple plays I saw from last week that really called my attention. They're, they use these uh, trip sets three by one. They put Evan Ingram on the left side and they were putting two kind of post players going into the safeties against quarters coverage. Derwin James sits with Christian Kirk and then in comes that big Zay Jones bender. Then they have the fourth and one, uh, the fake quarterback sneak. Then they have that off tackle run to ETN to kind of seal the game. They're going for two down three. All this aggressiveness we've seen with Doug Peterson just because he did it with the Eagles. But I think that's how you can shrink this game is because Doug Peterson right now is calling a hell of a game, especially as like a kind of underdog story coming from behind. You have to be ultra aggressive. He doesn't really care if the game goes completely out of whack. He's going to be aggressive. And then Trevor Lawrence himself, he's going to be aggressive. And they will have to do this because let's be honest, the talent gap between the Chiefs and the Jaguars, pretty massive. Okay, let's keep on that Jaguars front because... I do like to try to predict what has to change in order for the scoreboard to change, right? And it's weird to say it when we get to the playoffs of the 2022 season, but Evan Ingram was a focal point of this Jaguars team, and he wasn't even a factor in that contest. I mean, he had four targets, three receptions, 14 yards with a long gain of seven. Mm -hmm. And so now when you get both he, Travis Etienne, even Christian Kirk on a lot of these lateral plays, but then also you're getting Kirk and Zay Jones and even Marvin Jones and a handful of snaps, Jamal Agnew as well. 
as a vertical outlet, they are using much more of the field than I felt like they were when they were three and seven on the season. If you remember back, like it was that Raiders game and it was this Chiefs game when I started saying, hey, guys, you need to start paying to Trevor Lawrence. Like he is starting to play at a really high level despite what the win-loss record was. And then they went on that crazy streak to end the season. So, yes, to me, I'm with you. Travis Etienne, just 11 carries for 45 yards, just three catches for 28 yards. And Evan Ingram are like the two pieces to win after the catch and then to hit those whole shots of Christian Kirk. And it's a bit different. Last time in the slot, it was against Legereus Need, And ever since then, in the last like three or four weeks, Trick McDuffie, who's the rookie for them, has started to play more and more in the slot. And at that time, was an outside corner. The thing I'm going to be looking for is can the Jagu wires hold Chris Jones? He has 15 and a half sacks. He's been double teamed at the uh, highest rate in the league. You can make an argument that he's one of the best defensive players in the entire league. He's going to be going up against uh, a journeyman left guard and Tyler Shatley, a third round rookie at center. And then Brandon Sheriff, he's been battling through this injury. And there was a couple times, even the last game where he was getting cooked. He's not been the same exact player the last couple of weeks. I wonder if this injury is being uh, a problem. Can they defend Chris Jones? Because the way the Chiefs defense play defense, they have two high safeties at the highest rate in the entire league. And they just ask Chris Jones to completely crush that pocket. Can this offensive line, which is probably one of the worst on the weekend, um, there, I know like uh, Walker Little is playing better than probably what you would have expected at, as the backup left tackle, but that interior offensive line has not been all that good. Can they hit the underneath targets? And that's where I'm kind of with you where Evan Ingram's kind of the name that kind of sticks out to me, where if they're going to be kind of in these two high shells, throw the ball to him. He's the yards after the catch guy underneath. Are you gonna get some shallow crosses and that type of thing? So if you're looking at the pick'em lobby, I think Evan Ingram is a name that I would be highlighting. Yeah, just to pull up that pick'em lobby. If you've never played it on underdog, there's a link in the description down below a deposit match up to $100 for your first time deposit. If you hit, you know, five either hires or lowers in the same slip, you get 20 extra money. So 10 turns into 200 bucks. Uh, as you're saying, Evan Ingram with a projection of 48 and a half with his higher or lower in terms of his receiving yards. When you always talk about these two high shells, my memory instantly jumps back to, you know, Zay Jones against the Baltimore Ravens, all those whole shots. Christian Kirk's been doing in recent weeks, too, with, you know, those corner routes to the sideline. And that's a money throw right now for Trevor Lawrence. Now, the issue yeah. is what you talked about. Chris Jones is one of the premier defensive players in the league, regardless of position. And he's a closer. You know, all these teams search for them. We're going to talk about the Bills in a moment without Von Miller. Like, that's what they thought would take them over the top this year is to have that guy that gets you off the field on third downs, on fourth downs, in the fourth quarter to win the game. And Chris Jones is that dude. They had five sacks on Trevor, second and third, fourth downs in that first matchup. The Jaguars created zero sacks on the opposite end for Patrick Mahomes. Now, some of that is the Chiefs offensive line. Some of that is Patrick Mahomes as well. But also, it's where the Jaguars defensive line at that point that was almost the barbell approach where they were not playing well in the middle of the season. They started out hot. They finished hot. And so I think on the opposite end, I don't know how they're going to do it, but this Jaguars defensive line needs to play the best game of their career when they've kind of done that a couple weeks mm -hmm. ago against the Tennessee Titans. So for the Chiefs side of this thing, just to kind of zoom out, Patrick Mahomes EPA per play is three times higher than Trevor Lawrence's. Yeah. And I know I know Trevor's in the last half of the season has played well, but that's kind of the gap that the Jaguars are going to have to be approaching here. And that's why Doug Peterson, I'm looking for him to 
basically leave your punter back in Jacksonville. You got to go for it here and try to close that gap with aggressiveness um, for the Jaguars defense. They're fifth highest in single high shell coverage um, and where t- uh, defenses have been a- or offenses have been attacking the Jaguars defense. It's been kind of in that intermediate part of the field. The linebacker play has not been very good. Uh, Devin Lloyd has been like benched at times, has not had a good season. And then their slot corner, Trey Hen- uh, Herndon has not been good at all. So the name I'm kind of keeping an eye on here just a little bit is Kadarius Tony because they've been oh, man- manufacturing so many touches for him. I know he hasn't been playing all that much, but it has kind of trended up a little bit. And after this kind of bye week that they've had this last week, I do wonder if Kadarius, who now is fully healthy, no McCole Hardman, and finally probably understanding the playbook a little bit, is the person kind of take advantage of that bad slot position, the, that bad linebacker play. So Kadarius Tony has my attention. I know that it's easy to fall victim to some of the, the high plays that Kadarius Tony has, but there's a lot of manufactured touches in this offense. And right now Kadarius Tony to me is their best bet for manufactured production. Sometimes the most fun and easiest answer is the correct one. And all you have to do is zoom back again to this week 10 game. When Kadarius Tony had four catches, 57 yards, one touchdown. Also had two carries for 33 yards. This was one of his best performances of the season. And it wasn't just, you know, handoffs behind the line of scrimmage that we are used to with jet sweeps with Miko Hardman. It was this catch where this he play. climbs the ladder on a sluggo that is a difficult catch for anyone to make. And he does it. Who knows what has happened during this period with the bye week, knowing that Miko Hardman was not going to play and saying, hey, this is maybe the player on offense that we know that can beat man-to-man coverage. That we know that if we get the ball in his hands, can make something happen after it. Jerick King can do the exact same thing. But we haven't seen a player like this be a solidified series-in, series-out guy for the Chiefs. Not saying that's going to happen, because really no one is, other than Travis Kelsey, because they rotate so many pieces, even at running back, even at outside, and all the tight end packages. But... I would be stunned if Kadarius Tony does not leave his mark on this game, whether it be one play, one snap, or whether it be 15 touches, you know? Yep. I agree. They have to put him out there. Uh, the pick entry that I placed, I had Kadarius Tony on the higher, and Justin Watson would be the person that's playing, playing wide receiver. I have his lower. If Kadarius is playing, it's either coming at the expense of Juju, MVS, or Justin Watson. I think Juju and MVS have clear roles. I know Justin Watson, they want to be out, be out there in physical, but I think at the end of the season, we're going to see this, the Chiefs completely drop back. And that my final question to you, I think Jarek McKinnon's going to play a whole bunch because yeah. I just think they're just going to say, guess what, Patrick Mahomes, go beat the, the Jaguars defense out here by yourself. And Jarek McKinnon is that guy. But CH is returning. Do you have any advice for people playing DFS pick them when it comes to the Chiefs running back? We saw the answer last year at this time. Jarek McKinnon took over as like their best back during the playoffs. And he already did that earlier towards the end of the regular season. I just expect that to happen in the, it's a trustworthy player, you know, like Pacheco will get his and he actually had a really great game other than the fumble against the Jaguars in week 10. Um, but I really firmly believe that if it's a goal line situation, if it's third and medium, second and long, like Jarek McKinnon is the guy that's out there. And we've seen them spring big plays on top of that too. Here's my thought. And it doesn't necessarily apply to this week, but like, as weird as it sounds, the reason why Patrick Mahomes and this Chiefs offense got booted from the playoffs and playing in the Super Bowl last year was because Cincinnati threw some interesting wrinkles at them defensively, where it went to drop eight, you know, just rush three. They weren't prepared for it. 
even without Tyreek Hill this year, and we've talked about it with the EPA and everything combined this season, the best offense, I feel like there is really nothing that a defense can throw yeah, at them at this point that will get them off the field, that will force them to struggle in the fourth quarter. I'm not expecting us to have that answer this week, but I think that might continue with us in the AFC Championship and then the Super Bowl too. Yeah, I completely agree with you. My final score prediction, 34-21. I just don't see them stopping Patrick Mahomes. I think they're just going to put the ball in his hand. And like you said, it's just really no easy way to kind of get out there. And real quick, I was saying Jaguars so uh, incorrectly this entire time because Benjamin Solak uh, tweeted at me saying that I I pronounce it the worst <laughs> out of anybody in podcast form. So how about that? At least Ben watches the show. I appreciate there that. There we go. Ben. Ben's a great dude. Um. I mean, it's so funny to look at these projections over in the pick and lobby. I mean, MVS just at 30 and a half receiving yards. Juju Smith-Schuster at 55 and a half, but just on four and a half receptions. Then you have Kadarius Tony at 31 and a half. I feel like people are still split on like who Kadarius Tony is, and I totally get it. Like we haven't mm-hmm. seen him very much, but I think you and I believe that he has more of isolated route running capabilities than like what he has shown so far in his career. In terms of like winning in one-on-one situations and lining up as a legit wide receiver, he can do all the other stuff, but it'd be so cool. It would be so cool if like this was the launching pad for his career where there might be some more changes this off season for the wide receiver situation, but like he solidifies a 60% snap player. They, they desperately need him. They keep giving him these manufactured touches. And I I think he's leading the league in whip routes and that's just classic Kadarius Tony stuff. Uh, but I'm with you. I have seen flashes of him just winning isolated and on slants downfield fades against man coverage against some of the best corners in the league. And I always have that back in my head. He just has to figure it out. Yes. And we just don't know if we'll ever get that with Kadarius Tony. But the upside case is there. You can't uh, argue with me otherwise. Jaguars, what a story. It's been so much fun to watch yeah. this team. And I would love for it to be competitive, too. Would love they for get it. Calvin Ridley back next year. I know this this off this offense is going to be fun. Jaguars, Eagles, Giants, Eagles up next. Eagles, seven and a half point favorites. Total of 48 in this game. Week 14 was really the only meeting. I'm not going to count week 18 when these two teams played. And the Eagles won that game 48 to 22. I also want to bring up, despite winning by 26 points, Dallas Goddard did not play in that game. Is it as simple as this? Because this is the other team with the bye in the Eagles. If Jalen Hurts plays well, this offense has an answer for everything. And the only question is Jalen Hurts' health. Yes, and the good news with Jalen Hurts is he was left off the injury report entirely. Um, So I think that he's going to be ready to go here. And I think for me, the big picture is physicality. And the Eagles, we know we have it. We saw Dexter Lawrence really come alive this last game. But is the rest of the offensive line and defensive line enough uh, to kind of man how handle an Eagles defensive line and offensive line that go about eight people deep. Yeah, there is such a difference between Dexter Lawrence facing Garrett Bradbury and Dexter Lawrence facing Jason Kelsey, Landon Dickerson, Isaac Zayomalo, Lane Johnson, you know, Jordan Mailata, the whole grouping, right? Because even when you go back to that week 14 game, he was getting pushed off the ball. And this is where it always, I always come back to with this Eagles team. And while really no one slowed them down the season, maybe for a half against the Houston Texans, they had a couple of other stretches where maybe there were questions, but this was a well-oiled machine. 
at every single level and could beat you in multiple different ways. And everything is built off of the inside zone with the run blocking. Then once you might slow that down, or if that's just demolishing you, then you have that RPO pop off of it and a multitude of different looks that Jalen Hurts and Dallas Goddard and a couple other players do so well off of. And then when you rotate down a safety, go into a single high look, then they beat you deep outside the numbers and down the field. Again, when you see single high or when you try to send pressure, you know, and Wink Martindale in that first game tries to send pressure and he was getting beat over and over again. I mean, there was that first third down of free rushers and out route to Quez Watkins, a fourth and seven wink rushed five, a lofted ball to Devonte Smith that the safety, I think Julian love totally misplayed. I think the last, what four or so weeks wink has not blitz as often, which has probably been difficult for him, but if that's the case, you think you're going to create pressure with four with Aziz Ojolari possibly not playing as like a rotational piece here, and then against this front five blockers? No, you're going to have to do something, and most likely what you do is going to make you lose. I was just going to bring this exact same thing up. Uh, Jalen Hurts has faced the second most dropbacks with at least six plus rushers, which oh. goes right into the blitz against Wink Marndale. He ha- he's the f- he's fifth in yards per attempt when kept clean, but he's the quarterback twenty five went under pressure in yards per attempt. So I think even though it didn't work uh, exactly how they wanted to the last time, I think this is a situation where you have to have to do it to see if Jalen hurts (laughs) is going to go out there. Um, But really if you're leaving, uh, if you're going to be blitzing, you're going to be leaving on a lot of one-on-one coverage and these, I mean, these poor corners against AJ Brown and Smitty, it's going to be a long day. And you just look back at the entire season, the giants, they're 28th in EPA allowed per play 28th you're playing in the Eagles this is not going to go well if I had to pick one player to kind of highlight just like for pick them or for for DFS anything like that um I didn't want to note Devonta Smith he had his first and third most snaps inside the slot all year in the two games against these Giants I do wonder if that's just because they wanted to get Darnay Holmes uh who's the Giants uh slot corner who's also a UCLA Bruin he's been getting exposed <laughs> and I think that Smitty could have a big game, especially if they're going to be bringing blitzes and they're going to have one-on-one coverage. Smitty versus Darnay Holmes, a Bruin. Uh, I really like that matchup for Smitty. Miles Sanders had a big game the last time they played. 17 carries, 144 yards, two touchdowns, a long run, a 40 towards the end. Again, it was pretty much a blowout. It was what, let's say, 34 to 14 heading into the fourth quarter. Um, his pick numbers right now, though, are minuscule compared to that 144 rushing yards at just 66 and a half rushing yards. I also want to tag on to this and I don't know how much we can read into this, but in eight games played against these New York giants, Boston Scott has 10 touchdowns. Okay. Yeah. Your thoughts. Um, I think to a certain degree, they do give him a couple extra touches at the end of the games, but he's going to have to earn those extra touches because they're blowing them out. And if that is the case, it will be Miles Sanders. I also did want to note with the slot snaps as well, uh, two of the high two, I think it was the top four highest neutral pass rate games of the entire season for the Eagles came against these giants. So there's something about the matchups that they like. I think that they're welcoming the wink Martindale just uh, uh, just bring in the house and that they're yeah. willing to kind of eat that and play the variance game. Um, so I just don't see this Giants defense getting that many stops. I know they returned some players in the last couple of weeks, but really like so of the Eagles, like, I mean, we have Lane Johnson. That's our, their right Off tackle. Injury report. 
off the injury report, he's back. Obviously, Dallas Goddard, he was off the uh, injured reserve last couple weeks. Dallas Goddard is one of the best run-after-catch yes. tight ends in the league and makes such a difference. It's amazing yep. that they had blowout wins even without yep. him, I think, in this offense. And then even on defense, we had Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. He's uh, just coming off of injured reserve. Josh Sweat, he's practicing after missing some time. Robert Quinn, he just returned off injured reserve. So the Eagles, when they had those bad games, like what, like called just December, all these guys that we mentioned were not playing or playing yeah. through an injury or just coming off injury. They're pretty damn healthy all of a sudden. And that's terrifying. Um, so if you just like look at the season on the, on, on the whole, really, the Eagles are just in a much better position than the Giants are. So I think this is kind of the spot where the Giants season most likely is coming to an end. I would put the Eagles seven to 10 points with a win here. Final point on the Eagles offense. You do almost have to run hot in some ways when it is isolated coverage, contested catches, uh, when you do see single high, if the coverage is good, right? But we've mm-hmm. seen, you know, Devontae Smith do that against the Washington Commanders. We've seen A.J. Brown do that against basically every single opponent. Um, but there are games at times with because the coverage is so good or just the wide receivers having an off day that some of those big plays that do change games, three or four of them, don't happen to the offensive side and you know, make it a much closer game. So I think like that is one avenue for these corners to have a game of their life in those one-on-one situations. Now for the Giants offense, it's tough because like, I remember going back and doing one of the first scheme episodes with Josh McCown on this game, on this offense. And it's so much fun to watch because on some level, they have one of the most, I'm not going to say most athletic quarterbacks in the league, but they utilize his athleticism almost better than any other offense out there. And I feel like defenses still do not recognize or haven't caught up to it every single week. Cause you're not going to see a team use more of boot action, naked boot action, any of that stuff as much as the giants do. And then what they are doing so well that I don't think Daniel Jones got enough credit for, for the bulk of the season when they were outperforming expectations is third and fours, third and sevens, second and nine, second and twelves threading the needle on these mill the field throws despite this wide receiver grouping that he's had to deal with. You know, we went from the Wandale Robinson era to the Isaiah Hodgins era, and he's playing at a really high level now. Big part of his obviously getting rid of the turnovers, but at the end of the day, this is the Eagles defensive line. We talked about, you know, Wink Martindale maybe forced to send pressure. The Eagles are one of these few teams that really don't have to because their front four can twist and stunt or just win the edge with Hassan Reddick and Josh Sweat. I'm expecting Daniel Jones to run a lot. One that will slow down the game and you want to, if you are uh, supposed to lose, you do want to slow down the game and make this game come down a little more variance. Uh, And the Eagles defense has not been good against scrambling cornerbacks or uh, design quarterback runs either. Uh, The athletics, Nate Tice, uh, he notes that the Eagles have given up the second most EPA to quarterback scrambles this season. Uh, they're 28th in success rate against those scrambles. They've been scrambled against at the eighth highest rate. So this isn't just kind of fluky noise. And then on those designed quarterback runs, uh, the Eagles are, are are 29th in success rate. So I'm expecting Dayball to get in there and let Daniel Jones create on his own. Um, Because I think that's kind of the middle of the field is kind of the area that I would be targeting going up against those linebackers rather than those outside corners and Daniel Jones getting him on the move a little bit maybe can kind of save him from this pass rush that does come at you about seven people deep. It's very difficult to do was impossible the first time that they met, but keep it a one score game. 
you know, have one of those miraculous Brian Dayball, Mike Kafka, Kayvon Thibodeau getting his trip sack at the end, have a game winning field goal. Like one score games is where it's at for this Giants team. But in order to do that, you have to play like three perfect quarters. Yeah. Saquon Barkley probably has to have a big chunk gain because they really he don't have so them. Good. I know they don't have them in like 20 plus yard passes, you know, like yeah. Darius Slayton has one big gain per week, but it's on these crossing routes every single time that feels like his defender falls down every single week. And then he can run it for an extra 16 yards. Um, I have loved watching this giants team because they know their personnel so well early on this season. It was a lot of this pony personnel. In fact, they would put three backs out there like a full house backfield and they would run these really cool RPO looks off of that. Um, throw it to Matt Breida or Saquon or anyone. And it feels like they, they have mastered and perfected the simple executed at a high level, but add like one or two wrinkles every single week. Um, just what a cool story. What a cool story to see this team have this. It's why Dable might win a uh, coach of the year. This is a very well coached team. Um, just for the wide receivers real quick. Isaiah Hodgins, I think is kind of legit, which if you look at his kind of college profile uh, was actually kind of intriguing to me. Uh, really big body out there. School? He's not like some Oregon state. Uh, mm-hmm. He, uh, He's kind of nasty with it a little bit. He's not going to like wow you with athleticism, but his body control and knowing the timing and all that stuff is it's pretty solid. So I'm, I'm definitely intrigued with him. I think he'll be back and I think he'll be a starter going into next year. By the way, 2023 best ball is coming pretty soon. Pretty soon. Maybe we'll have some content on it in the uh, upcoming weeks. So like that one's for you. Uh, yeah. Hodgins in his last six games, 33 catches, 355 yards and five touchdowns. Pretty not good. Bad. Not bad. Uh, he might be one of those guys that like you talk yourself into as the summer goes along um, or just is overhyped way too much. Like it's, it's tough to know which, which side it all comes back to on. the price. <laughs> Isaiah Hodgins in round four. I'm out. Isaiah Hodgins in round 13. I'm in one final note. I think the coolest thing that the Eagles have done this year. And I feel like we've forgotten about it is changing their entire identity mid game, you know? So like if the passing game, if the deep shots are not working, then they'll just run over your face. Like they did it in this game too. Five straight runs that opened the second half for 64 total yards. Um, it's tough to, I, I think it's a really, really difficult. By the way, last week you did the whole quote. If you just zoom out and look at the quarterbacks, how am I going to take Trevor Lawrence over Justin Herbert? And then like 15 minutes later, you pick Brock Purdy's 49ers over Jalen Hurts' Eagles. That didn't make any sense to me. I thought about it all weekend. <laughs> I mean, there's a little bit of difference between the Jag UIers receivers and Brock Purdy's. We'll get to them in a second. Yeah, I have Brock, I have plenty of Brock Purdy takes, by the <laughs> okay, way. Okay. Let's go to Sunday now. It is the three o'clock game on the East Coast. It's the Cincinnati Bengals, the Buffalo Bills, a total of 48 and a half in this game. Tell me why this has seen the most line movement because it opened at three and a half and now the bills are favored by five and a half with a total again remaining at 48 and a half. Why do you think that is? Um, I think probably some of the injuries uh, on the Bengals side is definitely coming back. Uh, we have left tackle Jonah Williams. We have the right guard Alex Kappa, the right tackle Lil Collins. They're all going to be out. That means Jackson Carmen, who's actually benched. That's the second rounder bench as a guard. He's going to be playing left tackle where he's playing at Clemson and then Adenage is going to be the right tackle. And that's pretty much the guy when we were freaking out last year about the Bengals offensive line, it was, it was mostly him. 
So that's your um, five offensive linemen for for the Bengals. It's going to be one of the worst units uh, in this round. Of course, the Bills' offensive line isn't very good in its own right, too. So uh, when trench play is not very good on both sides, games can kind of get a little bit sloppy, and I'm kind of struggling if I think this game's going to be like 21-24. But at the same exact time, the secondaries for each one of these teams have been kind of banged up. Obviously, Von Miller's out. So there's these teams are not very healthy right now. And that's sad because I think both of these teams could be in the same tier as the chiefs, but right now the chiefs are just so much more healthy or healthier than these two teams. So uh, I'm curious about your thoughts on it. It always goes back to me. And I talk about this, you know, during September NFL action, like offensive line talent continuity in the playoffs is like the big differentiator and the big difference maker. And the Bengals entering this year's playoffs are like one of the worst at that at the moment. And it's only gotten worse because, as you said, Jonah Williams is going to miss this game. With that said, they went to the Super Bowl last year with like a similar offensive line grouping. But in some ways, I've trusted this offense to be better week in and week out. I guess this is my read on the whole thing. The Bills, while they have gotten a bit more creative and Sean McDermott, Leslie Frazier have done a couple more cool wrinkles this season, they're mainly a, hey, this is our defense. We're going to run at a high level type thing. Joe Burrow, this season, has transcended in terms of this is my look pre-snap. This is my look post-snap. The processing, and when I get there, the ball is quickly out of my hands, out of shotgun almost every single time now. And... I'm going to have success doing it because I know what your coverage is and I know what that gives me with one of these awesome three wide receivers or my tight end or my running back in the flat. Um, So I kind of expect the Bills, especially if they're not generating a pass rush with their front four, to have to do something a bit creative to get Joe out of his rhythm. And I understand that in week 17, we only got like two series or like a series and a half out of this offense, but he was doing it then too. I mean, that opening drive Mm -hmm. down to T Higgins for the touchdown it felt like they were going to be able to move the ball over and over and over again. And I think if they had all three of their offensive linemen healthy, then this would be maybe the favorite in the AFC and a really, really close to pick them because I think the Bengals offense when everyone is on the field has been nearly impossible to stop this season. Yeah, I'm curious to see if they're going to be able to get Joe Mixon going at all. Like in theory, the Bills play a bunch of too high coverage and they may try to run them out of it. But uh, Joe Mixon hasn't looked as good. And um, obviously, you got Joe Burrow and T. Higgins and Jamar Chase. I would just get the ball to those guys. So I think I think they'll do fine just because Joe Burrow's so good behind a bad offensive line. But I mean, we're really scraping the bottom of the barrel with the offensive line talent. Luckily, though, it's it's not just Von Miller. They got Micah Hyde missing. Obviously, Demar Hamlin's missing. Jordan Phillips, their defensive tackle, he's questionable. I think that's going to be kind of a key matchup if, if Jordan Phillips can get going against uh, some uh, backups in there as well. So uh, I, I have a better read, I think, with the Bills' offense than I do with the Bengals. Mm. I just think Joe Burrow is going to be fine, and he'll make the most of a pretty mediocre situation. Just when looking at sacks, and that was a big number we looked at last year, he was overcoming them and winning despite them. You remember like seven versus the Titans. So it was four against Baltimore last week, then two, two, and two in the previous weeks. But like he went through the stretch where it was one sack in week nine, two sacks in week 11, one sack in all of week 12, 13, and 14. And yeah, it's it makes me a little nervous. Like if he has to hold the ball for a little extra tick, then what happens from there. But also Joe is far more willing. It feels like this year to run and to scramble and to create on his own too. 
Uh, I just love how he's playing the game. Love how. My final note. Again, the Bills went out, prioritized Von Miller as the dude to like get off the field. It worked in week one in a lot of situations against the Los Angeles Rams. Who who's going to step up with that? Like, I think Tre'Davious White is starting to look closer to what he used to be. I thought his first few weeks back were really rough, and then Kyrie Elam, let's say the post week seventeen bump for him, <laughs> he uh, is yeah. is locking down one of those starting cornerback spots. Yeah. So this is probably like when they set back when making that first round pick. Like, hey, once we get the playoffs, if these two guys are healthy, we can feel a lot better about our cornerback group. Agree. On the flip side. Bengals, they're missing their number one quarter uh, corner. Chidobia Wuze, he's been out for a little bit here, but um, Eli Apple's been on the injury report. Eli Apple, uh, crazy to say, he, this has been his worst season uh, looking at all the PFF metrics. Eli Apple's worst season, and he's going to be out there possibly playing through an injury. So I think that the Bills have a very obvious matchup on the perimeter. Uh, the Bengals have a very good slot corner. Um, Isaiah McKenzie said he's going to play. Uh, he says about 90%, but he's going to be in the rotation with Khalil Shakur and Cole Beasley. I'm avoiding all of that stuff, but I do think this is a game where Steph Diggs can really get going here just because uh, the outside corner situation for the Bengals is not very good, and they want to prevent the big play. That's just kind of how the Bengals' defense is set up. So I think you can see a bunch of receptions out to Steph Diggs, get it, get him going, see if the Bengals' outside corners want to tackle or can just keep up with Steph Diggs. So if, if I had a lean here, it would be Steph Diggs, maybe Gabe Davis, but I think primarily Steph Diggs getting going uh, against this Bengals' secondary, which I wanted to call really good. They've just been dealing with yeah. some injuries. Lou Anarumo, though, does some really cool stuff. And, I mean, he's the one that, again, forced Patrick Mahomes out of the playoffs last year because of the new wrinkles. And how Josh Allen is playing right now, he's evoking a little bit of that pedal-to-the-floor roller coaster style that deep aggravated us a little bit in his first couple of years. He learned how to harness all of that energy, channel it in a positive direction. I kind of feel like he's believing that everyone but Stefan Diggs and Dawson Knox, our dude, is kind of letting him down on a play-in, play-out basis, and he feels like he has to force it and carry it, which he probably does, the offensive line on top of that. Mm-hmm. But we're seeing a lot of those negative outcomes, a lot of those negative outcomes as of late. Now, pretty easy to see that all hitting all positive outcomes too in a single game, but it, it, it's on a rocky road at the moment. Mm-hmm. I'm totally with you with Stefan Diggs, again, in that – two series that we saw against the Bengals, they saw they had him in like this triple stack on the right side and they were able to get him against his own coverage one-on-one with 55. I think that's Logan Wilson, the linebacker for the Cincinnati Bengals. So I think they're going to be able to manufacture some cool looks. It's, it's weird because that first game against the Rams, this bills team, it was like ball quickly out of his hand. Everything was designed perfectly. And I feel like we haven't captured that perfect offensive series yet. Uh, entire game yet like we did in week one it'd be cool if it popped up here though in the divisional round can't you see um them doing the drop eight stuff here the Bengals, just because yeah, josh totally. allen like they want to prevent the big plays and josh allen scr- is scrambling like a madman right now if you're dropping eight and make him kind of pick you apart I, I do think that's in the back of my head a little bit very similar to kind of the the patrick mahomes when they had tyreek hill deep to prevent that don't have Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen run around like crazy. I oh. could see that. I don't know. I don't know what that what that means for the Bills and pick them and all that stuff. But I can see a couple drop eight snaps out there. Holy, I'm trying to look up James Cook's numbers right now too. I know the team 
spotlighted Devin Singletary and his pass pro capabilities. Uh, but I mean, James Cook, I know it was a 34-31 game, 12 carries this past weekend for 39 yards. So I yeah. think they're more willing to use James Cook uh, than they have in, been all time. In a very specific situation, though, it, he's not playing any snaps, basically, except when he's running the ball, the ball because yeah. they, they love Devin Singletary and all the other um, stuff. But if he's on the field, the ball is going to him. Um, they might they could have to run him, run them out of two high shells, possibly. We'll Are see. you saying we're going to get the same Hubbard show again as a drop eight guy? Those that would be that would be fun. That game was one of the most interesting all 22 games uh, since I've been doing this. Cool. All right. Last one of the weekend. It's Sunday afternoon, 630 Eastern. The Dallas Cowboys travel to the Bay Area. 46 total in this game. The 49ers favored by four and a half points. Two awesome, awesome storylines here. Uh, One is Brock Purdy, man. Like, and maybe this is the better way of putting this game, okay? Because I'm looking at just rosters and comparing them to both sides top down. What position? Coaching included, does Dallas have the edge in over San Francisco? It really might be one when you go from top down and it's quarterback and that's it. And it, Every might, be a, other- it might be by a wide margin and at the yes. most important position. That would be my counter, but I, I'm with you where you're going. Yeah. So that makes it such an intriguing game for me because, and it feels like the Brock Purdy conversation, by the way, there's a scheme episode coming out on Friday, focusing on him. People are having to go in either or categories when talking about Brock Purdy. It's either, oh, Kyle Shanahan makes it easy for him and it's wide open stuff. Or or Brock Purdy is amazing and he's awesome. And wow, he should be the starter for the rest of time. What if the answer is like in between the two? Like Mm -hmm. obviously Kyle is creating a lot. But I can tell you from watching the tape with Josh how – Brock is one throwing away from defensive backs, either to the top shelf, bottom shelf, low and away Two, how he is actually moving some linebackers with his eyes and then working back to the middle of the field to create these wide open cavities in the middle of the field. And three, I actually think Brock Purdy brings something to the table that these other, namely Jimmy Garoppolo quarterbacks have not. And it's quick trip, quick twitch, funky release movements, and now, if a defense has to focus on not just Brandon Ayuk in the intermediate portion, George Kittle, Debo Samuel, and namely Chris McCaffrey, and also worry about quarterback movement, that is another layer and skill onto this 49ers Kyle Shanahan offense that they haven't had to prepare for in the past. Uh, I am very much with you. Brock Purdy is definitely bringing a little bit scramble drill, and he's not always looking to uh, to run during his scrambles. He's Correct. running around and then looking to throw, which makes sense because you're throwing the ball to George Kittle and Debo Samuel. By the way, Debo Samuel last week looked so beyond back. It wasn't just that long touchdown. They had a couple of drag routes to him as well where he was breaking a bunch of tackles. Um, to me, this is where I think the difference could be is if you look at some of the matchups the 49ers have had with Brock Purdy, they have not faced a bunch of elite pass rushing units and Micah Parsons does scare me with Brock Purdy because on that last tape against the Seahawks the one one primary criticism I have with Brock Purdy is he kind of drifts in the pocket like when he's instead of just dropping back all the way he will drift to one side looking to throw the ball and then he can get himself into trouble and all of a sudden when Micah Parsons is creating that trouble you can kind of see how this thing can collapse and on top of that Brock Purdy was throwing to wide open dudes the entire game 
Dan Quinn did coach with Kyle Shanahan. He's going to be prepared for a lot of these things. He did slow down the pass game last year in the playoffs. I think uh, Jimmy G only had like 172 yards with a full complement of weapons. Obviously, Christian McCaffrey unlocked some of this thing. But I, th- I, th- I do think that there is definitely a segment out there that is vastly overrating Brock Purdy. A lot of that production last week was yards after the catch. I think it was like 56% of his yards were after the catch. And then the other ones, it was these like cover three beaters where you had Brandon, you running these huge yeah. uh, in breaking routes. And I mean, legitimately like 15 yards, there's no one around him. So to me, could he stay in the pocket enough to kind of manipulate just because Micah Parsons is coming. Dexter Lawrence is coming. And Dan Quinn, I think out of all of the DCs out there, he has so much experience. He's been able to change his defense from year to year, uh, week to week. He's been in the Shanahan offense for a couple of years. So that's kind of the one caveat I have here. Brock Purdy, great story. I just fear that we're overrating him a little bit right now. In six of the seven games Brock Purdy has played, the 49ers have scored more than 30 points. Mm-hmm. Uh, guess who's also played in all seven of those games is Chris McCaffrey. Yes. Uh, that to me is the focus of everything. I remember when that trade happened. And I think sometimes not just us in the fantasy community or the analytics community or the football community can get a bit too focused on, well, this offense that has been in place for multiple years has looked like this. So that means that this player in Chris McCaffrey won't be utilized in the ways that he can thrive in with 49ers because that was said a lot. You saw it. It couldn't be farther from the truth. Maybe just maybe a let's say generational pass catching running back talent who's using those ways uh a great play caller will know how to utilize him and unlock everything because that's what it has done it has not only helped the quarterback in terms of get out of jail it has allowed for a lot of creativity it's allowed uh george kittle to score 11 freaking touchdowns in the regular season this year because so much attention when you watch is pointed in the direction of Christian McCaffrey because defenses, what's in front of them with linebackers, they want to stop in a seven-yard gain and turn it into just a two-yard gain. And then there goes George Kittle running to the intermediate portion behind you. So Christian McCaffrey has revolutionized this offense, has totally changed everything. And while there were segments of this season where he might have been on like a 20-touch snap count, and as soon as they hit that, then they took him off the field for whoever, Jeff Wilson, Eli Mitchell, Jordan Mason, whoever you want to talk about, I bet he is unleashed in close games this week. And his totals of just 36 and a half receiving yards right now in the pick'em lobby, give it to me. Yeah, if if Micah Parsons is coming in hot, a couple screen passes to him could make some sense. This chart I posted Slow it. Slow him down. Slow right, him exactly. down. I I I'm with you hundred percent. I posted this chart just because um the this is when Dak Prescott returned in week seven and the Cowboys are the third best team in the league behind the chiefs and the 49ers that week seven games. Also when Christian McCaffrey started coming into the mix and the 49ers, uh, they are second in uh, offensive EPA since that trade. So um, I think you mentioned what they've scored 30 points in all their games or something like that with, with Brock Purdy the Dallas Cowboys with Dak Prescott since week seven, they've been averaging 32. So this is a game to me where the 49ers defense has been good. Same thing with the Cowboys, but sometimes good offense just beats good defense. So I can see this game kind of going uh, maybe a little over on this one. I, I I still have a lot of respect for the 49ers defense, yeah. but Dak Prescott looked amazing last week. Amazing, amazing, amazing. If that Dak Prescott comes 
uh, comes alive again here. I don't think that Brock Purdy has it in him to kind of keep pace. So um, of all the games, this is the game where I have my upset alert on a little oh. bit um, just because I think the quarterback plays vastly different here. So um, Micah Parsons, Dak Prescott, that's what those two players are the, the two that I care about in this game. Could Micah Parsons collapse that pocket and make Brock Purdy make some bad decisions? Could Dak Prescott, I don't care if it's Fred Warner, whoever it is, Bosa, could he handle himself under pressure a little bit and fire some strikes over the middle? Last week showed that the answer to that is yes. I bet we get a push pass or jet sweep touchdown from a non running back near the red zone. Uh, we've seen this. Remember the Kansas City Chiefs? Miko Harbin scored like two or three touchdowns against the San Francisco 49ers because of just how much they fly up the field. Mm-hmm. I don't know if the Cowboys really have a player like that to maximize on that. Maybe they put Tony Pollard in motion. Yeah. Um, on the opposite end, we could see Debo getting that. We've seen Brent Ayuk get that during his rookie season. We could see it from someone else too. But I, I bet we see uh, one of those because, as you said, the edge rushers and just disruption in general, they're going to fly up the field and try to wreak havoc. I, I guarantee you we see some delayed, some perfectly timed passes to Chris McCaffrey out in the flats, and uh, he'll create a big play off of it for sure. I'm with you on Dak. Dak Prescott makes people stupid. Like, it is crazy how people talk about Dak. Like, they're just waiting for him to throw an interception. The dude He's nice. Is, I don't get it. Like, he's like a nice guy. Why are we reading a processor? Like, yeah. the way he can go from front, middle, backside. Backside, middle, front. And he has to go through all of these progressions so often and does it at such a high level. Like, sure, there was a section of the season where he was throwing interceptions. Guess what? There was a section of last season where Patrick Mahomes was throwing interceptions. There's a section right now where Josh Allen is creating turnovers or giving off turnovers. You know, it happens for top quarterbacks. Some of those interceptions were literally off of the breastplate of his own receiver and then going the other way. So it's all ridiculous. Dak Prescott's a very, very, very good quarterback. Um, we'll see if he's good enough to come overcome. I mean, the to me, the skill talent, like I, I think CeeDee Lamb's good. Uh, Tony Pollard's pretty good. Um, Dalton Schultz, pretty good. But man, like the way that Debo Kittle and Ayuk have been playing recently and Christian McCaffrey, it is a talent mismatch. But is Dak Prescott just so much better than Brock Purdy to kind of swing this thing back? And obviously, uh, we have the kicker conversation. If you are McCarthy, do you stick with them or you find somebody else off the street? I think you stick with them. Same. I think you stick with them. All right. Let's just go through these games real quick and just pick a winner. How about okay. that? So I can maybe go 10 and 0 through the so first. You can run, run the table. Rounds, run the table. Uh, Jacksonville, Kansas City. Who are you picking? Chiefs. Yeah. Chiefs as well. Love you, Duval. Giants, Eagles. Seven and a half spread. Who are you picking? Yeah. I, I like the Eagles here too. Um, I think I would I would like them against the spread as well. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely picking the Eagles. I think the only again way that the Giants come up victorious if if Jalen Wirt Jalen Hurts has one of his worst performances of the season, if not his worst yeah. of the season. If if he's like more injured than we what Correct. we expect, then like of of course. But Bengals Bills uh, five and a half point spread again. That's climbed up from three and a half. Um, I'm gonna go off the radar here and go with the Cincinnati Bengals. I had a feeling you were just because you said that the Bengals, if healthy, that they might be the best team, which caught my, caught my attention. Um, I think that the Josh Allen turnovers, while it's not completely um, all luck, I think a lot of it can be kind of fluky. Like you said, these kind of turnovers, like you, if you pay too much attention uh, in the short term, then you kind of are missing out on it. I think that just he's he's too good. 
Um, I think they'll scramble around if he needs to. And so I what just you're saying is Joe Burrow's not good enough. Is what is what you're saying right now? Uh, the the best Josh Allen is better than than Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow is an extremely good quarterback. Um, I really think if they had Von Miller, I would go in the opposite direction. But I don't know if they can generate just enough of a pass rush with those four to maximize in these offensive line injuries in the way that the Bengals are playing offense this year versus and compared to how they were forcing just deep shots mm-hmm. and winning on explosive plays last year, if that makes sense. Yep. All right. Cowboys 49ers end it. I mean, I, I can't pick all the favorites all for fun. I'm going Cowboys. Okay. 49ers for me. Hopefully you all tune into tomorrow's scheme episode with uh, Josh McCown. It's a good one on Brock Purdy. And if you're, you know, one of those teams that are drafting the top 10 or just outside of it, and you care about Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, we have scheme episodes on those guys as well. 10 throws that you have to see that kind of encapsulate early looks, quick looks at those quarterbacks. Anything you want to plug here, Hayden? Uh, yeah, a couple things. Um, I'm starting to get into the college all 22 myself. I have Bryce Young takes. I have uh, CJ Stroud takes. The Levis takes are coming. Second part, we still have NFL playoffs, Crazy. best ball. We keep filling these damn tournaments. Uh, we're about to fill the minted, uh, mitten. I've heard there could be another mitten coming up tomorrow. If you're interested, the gauntlet's out there. Go play it. There's a reason we keep filling these tournaments because it's a fun game. It's a new game, but once you play it once or twice, you start really getting the hold of this thing. It's a very fun uh, game theory driven game. So if you're still with us 48 hours in, you must like us for some reason. Take our advice. Go play that uh, damn game. I'm telling you. That's going to do it for us. Go play pick them as well. Again, enter promo code. The show will match your first deposit up to $100. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the games. Thanks for supporting us and up the villa. We'll talk to you all soon. See ya.